Lord God, we pray this morning that your word might blind us from our sinful ways. That your word might call us forward and that call might feel like life and grace. God, give us the courage to hear and see how your forgiveness is working us over into new life with you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now a reading from Acts 9, beginning in verse 1. Listen for God's word for each of us this morning. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, good morning. I want to give a special shout out this week to my videographer, uh, my wife, Amelia. I'd say we've only gotten in four fights over this, and so I'm chalking it up as a win. What I'm excited about this morning, I'm excited about the scriptures, one of my favorite passages, probably my most preached passage uh, that I've ever done. I just love me some Acts 9. Uh, but as I was getting into it this week and, and just seeing how inspiring it is and how an encounter with God is, is so transformative for not only Paul, but for the church. It just got me thinking, and, and I can't, I, sh I should ask you, you know, do you, do you ever find it odd that when we hear about forgiveness, when we hear that we are forgiven, that it's not consistently more life-giving? It's something that we hear or that we say every time we, we come to church, but I can't say that it has the same impact as it does for, for say, Paul. Or even, even when we're forgiving someone, even when we're showing somebody else grace, it just uh, it doesn't always seem as, as life-giving. You know, the other day, you know, none of us are, are doing great in quarantine. I don't know if any of us are at our best self, and, and that's true for me. The other day, I, I had to apologize to my son, Will, because I told him he was terrible at hide-and-go-seek. That's some impressive parenting right there, that you can get to a place where you are unabashedly critiquing your son's uh, ability to hide, but I did it. I, I spoke the truth, but I did not speak the truth in love. And, and so I had to go up and, and I said I was sorry. I said I shouldn't have done it. And, and Will, he, he forgave me. And I, and I do think that that, that exchange helped us move on from the incident, but I seriously doubt any of us would have said, either of us would have said that we, that we left it, you know, feeling better. I still didn't feel that great as a parent, even though he said he forgave me, and I'm sure he still, still felt wounded. I don't know, that's just tends to be my interaction with forgiveness. Now, often it seems the best that forgiveness can do is, is just to like help us let go of the past, which no doubt can can be healing. But that is rarely transformative. It rarely sets us on a new course, which I guess is why the biblical writers don't talk about that kind of forgiveness that much. You know, there, there's no place in, in Scripture where we see Paul running into some fellow Christian where, where Paul says, you know, hey, I'm sorry that, you know, back in my old days I, I killed your brother. Doesn't happen. Same way we don't see Peter take Jesus aside after the resurrection and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I denied you three times. I'm not saying that, that those sorts of incidents uh, 
didn't happen or that they weren't needed or that even they wouldn't have been helpful. I bet that they would have been. What I'm saying is that, that in Scripture, that is just not the focus of forgiveness. You know, an encounter with God like we see in our passage in Scripture, it, it surely makes Paul aware of his sins. And Judas from Straight Street and, and Athanasius, uh, they no doubt were aware of Paul's sins too. But those sins, that those past actions in light of God's grace, they pale in comparison to what is now possible. Paul's life is changed. Not because he's now aware of what he has done, but because of the community he can now be a part of. When we say Acts 9 is a picture of Christian transformation, what has changed, what has actually been transformed when you get to the root of it, is that Paul began a part of a community of that was defined by defensiveness, that felt it could only survive by attacking others. And he ends a part of a community that is defined by the sacrificial love of Jesus. What makes Paul's encounter with God truly transformative is that he isn't just told about grace. He's invited to take grace seriously with others. He's baptized into a new way of life. He's swept up into a new story. He's not... Uh, just remaining alone in his thoughts, feeling guilty, he's able to step into something new. And then Paul sees that as pure joy. Later, he writes to one of the early churches that he counts everything as loss compared to how he is now able to know Christ Jesus in community. Forgiveness isn't just a time he got to get rid of old habits. It is what sparked joy in him. And I actually believe it's the same for Judas from Straight Street who, who lets him into his house. I think it's the same for Ananias who comes and teaches him about Jesus and prays over him and baptizes him. I believe that when there is an encounter with grace and we gather around the Lord, whether we are the, the forgiven or the forgiver, that becomes joy when we are a community together. It's not cheap grace. It's not easy for anyone involved. But it's life-giving. It's beautiful. It's what we were meant to be part of. I once heard a, a story about Brennan Manning 
that I think illustrates this beautifully. If you don't know Brendan Manning, he is a he's a Christian writer and he has some of the most profound thoughts on grace you'll ever read. I encourage you to pick up one of his books. But Brennan, he's also a man who, who struggled with alcoholism most of his life. Brennan grew up in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as a Catholic. And in Scranton, the Catholic Church is, is on one as at the top of one of the hills. And the Manning family, they lived down at the bottom of that hill. And Brennan's mom, every day, even into his adulthood, would, would walk up that hill to the church and she would, she would pray for her son. Pray that, that he would have an encounter with the Lord. Encounter his grace. Know he is forgiven and be able to step out of his addiction and into the life that God intended him for. Every day she went up and prayed for that. Well, one day, Brennan was out with one of his friends in Scranton. And they were out uh, on a bit of a bender, just drinking up a storm. And as they were drinking up a storm, a, a winter storm happened to, to come into Scranton. Paved the, the, the streets in ice and there was snow everywhere. And, and they looked out as they were drinking, and the friend turned over to, to Brennan and said, Well, it doesn't look like your mom's going to be praying for you tomorrow, so we might as well just keep on drinking. And that's what they did. Together, they went from bar to bar and, and drank till near five in the morning. And I don't know how they were of the right mind to to make even somewhat of a smart decision, but they, but they realized as they looked out at the roads and how icy and dangerous they were that uh, it might be a good idea if they walked home together and slept at Brennan's house so that they could, they could get there safely and help each other out. And, and so that's what they did. They, uh, as the sun was coming up, they, they walked down the hill to Brennan's house. And as they were uh, getting near the bottom, to their shock, they saw a woman coming from the other direction. It was Brennan's mom. And she wasn't just walking up the hill. She was, because of the ice and the slipperiness on all fours, clawing her way to the church, clawing her way up to pray for her son. Pray that he might encounter the love of God. And when we think about how we could invite people into church and that would be joyful if they've hurt us or whatever, I think about Brennan's mom. And do you not think that his alcoholism, his addiction caused her pain? That Brennan probably had some places that he should have made amends, needed to apologize for. And yet, what would have answered Brennan's mom's prayers? 
what would have felt like joy, not only to her, but I believe would have been a sign that the joy of God was now in Brennan's heart, was not simply saying sorry for the mistakes I made, but it would have been joining his mom as together they clawed up that icy hill to pray for God's mercy together. That's what it means to be the church. And that's the kind of church where forgiveness is going to feel real. It's going to feel life-giving. You know, I know this season of quarantine and social distancing that we've been in, that it's that it's jarred many of us. Like Paul on the on the road to Damascus, a whole bunch of us feel like our sins and our self-deception have been laid bare and and we're kind of just blinded knowing that our old ways are not the right ways but but unsure of where to go and i just want you to know i believe that in jesus christ you are forgiven I believe in the face of brokenness where it feels like you have no path forward. You are being offered a new life of joy. I believe that. I believe that jarring, that judgment you might feel that that is the grace of God. But I also believe if we want the power of the gospel to seep into our bones, we have to gather as a community that acts as if the gospel is true. Friends, we are in this rare moment where we are in a break from regular church where we are getting thrown off horses and and realizing where we have gone astray and we actually get to take a second and say what kind of church are we being invited into how can we act as if the grace of god is true when we get back together how do we want to gather what an opportunity And it's in that opportunity, I just want to offer you two questions to think about. The first one is this. How do we need to gather as a community so we are reminded we are forgiven people? How do we need to act so that we embody the grace we claim. What would that look like? What kind of church would that be? And the second question is this. 
If there is someone we struggle to forgive, and I'm sure each of us has no problem thinking of at least one person where that's true, someone who's really hurt us. Well, if, if that person we struggle to forgive, if that person came and knocked on our door, what kind of church would we need to be what kind of church would we need to be a part of so we could invite that person to join us in community? And we could do that with joy because we would know that if they were a part of our church, they would be discipled in the way of grace. Can you imagine? To say that this is the church that, that we have decided to go to. Not because we like the music or the sermons or it's convenience or the people are nice. But, but someone says, you know, why are you there? And we say, because like our passage, this is where we are learning to pray for one another. This is where we're learning to believe and affirm that our neighbor is a part of God's story. It is here at this church that we are discovering what it means to sacrifice and risk so that others might join us in the journey of grace. That's why we're there. Friends, if that is how we approach church, if that is how we respond to God's forgiveness, I believe not only will we learn to forgive others with joy, we'll learn to forgive ourselves. To find joy in the life that we are living we will find transformation, real meaning in the God who has called us together. This is the invitation we have. This is what we get to figure out as the church of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll join me in that joy-filled journey. For this is the gift of of God for us, his people. Amen.